0: Spiritual Book Club's live video series and joining me today to share the stories behind the 10 books which, at the moment, he considers to have had a significant impact on his spiritual growth is my friend, recovering financial credit trader, economist, bioresonance technology pioneer, kundalini yoga teacher, writer, spiritual commentator, Bill Ailing. I don't know how many of you know much about Bill, but uh, it pretty much sums up the the titles I've just given you. But there's one thing I want to tease you all with right up front, and that is something that Bill wrote the other day. Um, His wonderful blogs are getting rarer and rarer. Um, They're worth holding on to. You know, maybe one day, like these uh, digital um, uh, pixels that are being sold for millions, maybe his blogs will be selling for millions. But he wrote one the other day that really blew me away. Um, the way he encapsulated what is happening in society at the moment, what we need to know, what energy is all about. And we are going to discuss that later because I think it's really important too. But I'm just going to tease you with something that he said at the beginning of that. And that is that the existential crisis facing humanity, has nothing to do with the virus. It has everything to do with ignorance. Now, I know that that was a quote from somebody else that uh, Bill was sharing. He'll tell us more about that later. Anyway, let's get on with it. Bill Ayling, welcome.
1: Thanks, Sandy.
0: Good to have you here. So now your 10 best books at the moment. Um, moment, (laughs) Tell us what it was like for you having to choose 10 books.
1: It was, as you'd expect, changing. Um, I remember sitting in your kitchen when you were discussing the idea of the No Bullshit Spiritual Book Club. And I thought, that's what's needed because being in this arena for a long time, I've got really tired of a lot of the spiritual marketing and, uh, you know, sort of some of the circular self development stuff that really continues to tell us that we're not enough and we need something else to express. And so I had to review what I'd been through and look at the books that I had. And the impact, what I noticed a lot of them is I hadn't finished many of them. I'm not a great reader. I'm dyslexic and I'm challenged, but I feel truth in the book very early on. And so the books that I came, in the end, I changed it twice, I think. I only changed the list twice when we spoke. Um, But they're pretty clear winners for me. And even if the book itself doesn't carry everything, it's normally the author that really, you know, it's like for me to choose a book by Adyashanti is impossible. It's it's been really interesting this week, reviewing the journey, going over those books and what they really meant for me and where I was. And so, as you say, I'm not writing a lot of blogs at the moment um, because I find I've got less and less to say. And I think that kind of mirrors my spiritual journey as well. So yeah, it was a challenging task, but an enjoyable one. So thanks for the opportunity.
0: Well, you know, right there is the dichotomy because you get quieter and quieter as time goes on. And yet, the more you know, the more other people need to hear what you know. But you know, the people don't want to share it anymore. And I can understand that because you can't transmit something as you know it, because you're going to know it differently than anyone else.
1: Yeah, I've, I've learned that along the way. And what struck me again, reviewing the books I chose was that right from day one, the first book I chose was Power of Now. And it and it's all there in the first page. <laughs> but you take 20 years to understand what that first page was saying fully. And, you know, part of my journey, um, I I got involved very, very keen on the teachings of Adyashanti and I'd regularly go on silent retreats, five-day silent retreats once a year. And that was, that brought up something in me that, um, I don't know whether you believe in past lives or whatever, but there was a definite recognition, remembering of that space for me. And I used to come out of those retreats feeling that everything is a distraction. So everything is a distraction from self and where the where the books come full circle is at the moment for me i'm very keen on the teachings of rupert spira and he'd say ta- you know it's the non-dual teachings going back to our essential nature of the awareness of awareness and everything in this life to me is a distraction and that doesn't mean it's not beautiful and you shouldn't engage in the distraction but what you do is you choose your distractions carefully so where you want to give your attention away from that essential nature of ours, which, again, Spira beautifully explains, is happiness and peace. That is our essential nature. Um, so when you give your attention away from that, it's got to be pretty good. <laughs> and it does make you quieter and quieter. And, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, I'm not an awakened being, but awakening is the cessation of seeking somehow, and that that's a beautiful space when you can find it. And when I plot that journey through the books, um, you can you can retrospectively look at it, going, "Oh yeah, there was a benchmark, there was a moment, there was a moment, there was a realization," and you know, will will we ever get there? I don't know, but I find. I find the silence really enticing (laughs) and it feels like home. And so I've written tons over the last year and I've put out two
0: blogs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and it's like, I write and I think, no, that's just a projection of what's going on in my mind at the moment. And as Adyashanti would say, liberation is actually, um, liberation is no longer believing any of your thoughts and it's not rejecting the bad ones or the negative ones and accepting the positive good ones it's rejecting them all you know, or not rejecting them all but not believing any of them they're just mm-hmm. transit, transitory sort of um, you know there are like clouds crossing the sky all those metaphors but it's true and what i find on this spiritual journey as well for me you you reach this point where people are really keen on sharing their truth. They want to tell you how it is and how it should be. And all they're doing is projecting the crap of their mind on you. And so with that awareness, you become, where I've become really mindful when I'm sort of pumping out stuff. Like it's really been tempting this last year to join in the conversations about the virus or about, you know, the government order, Deep State, and all these things, and, and that is phenomenal entertainment, you know, they're distractions that sort of like, are, you know, they're noteworthy in a way, because they're big stuff for, for what humanity is moving through, but what I think about them is kind of irrelevant in the story. with your
0: list, the first thing I want to ask you, though, is this list, did you compile it in order of when you read those books, and, you know, what is the order?
1: Um, the order... It kind of started like that, but the first two books on the list are *The Power of Now*, and that really was the book that got me started. You know, there was some, I just read that and I thought, "This, this is truth." And I was a bond trader. You know, I was living the life. You know, sort of <laughs> anything but in time. But I had these experiences frequently. Like um, when I traded really well, when I would make a lot of money trading, it was it wasn't it what I noticed it I was very, very present. And I used to play a lot of golf and I noticed that when I was trading well, my golf was good. And I thought it's because I wasn't stressed because of trading. If you're losing a load of money, you're not very good at golf. But I noticed then the, that wasn't the correlation. It was, it was the presence that was common to both experiences. So if I was present, my golf was good. My trading was good. And I learned, I can remember as a kid, my dad was a, an engineer and a, a teacher and he loved DIY and I can remember as a kid watching him sweep the garage one day and I stood and I was watching him sweep and he was he just looked so amazing doing this task so I was pestering dad dad can I sweep the garage and he said no no get away you know you're never really interested in get away son and then in the end he'd give me the broom and say okay sweep the garage So I start sweeping the garage, and after a couple of minutes, I notice this is rubbish. I don't really like this. And I look over, and I see him polishing the hubcaps on his car. And I'm captivated by him doing this task. And I'm thinking, I want to polish those hubcaps. And again, it had nothing to do with the task. These were just simple things that brought my dad really present. And I think that's where I first really got that i had no idea it was that then but i could watch him um, in his presence and i was mistaking the task for the the state for the task you know and I've, i've i'm aware of that i've been aware of that throughout my journey that that when you get into that space it's really easy in sport because time changes space changes everything's different and so i recognized somehow when i was reading that book i recognized what he was talking about I didn't think in, in spiritual terms at all. And I think I think we all have those experiences all the time, but we don't give them a lot of attention. And what, what that book did for me was give me a context and an understanding and a mechanism. You know, the, the use of time was really useful to give me access to something or some space where there really was no problem at all. And then... The next book I put was *The Way of Liberation* by Osho Shanti, because that kind of completed the journey at the time. He'd yeah. become my teacher. Other than that, the books are pretty much in order because they they sort of followed my progression from sort of without spending too long on the story. My son had um, learning difficulties on the autistic spectrum, and in seeking a solution to that, I discovered something called kinesiology. And I trained in kinesiology, and I became sort of, I suppose you'd call it an energy worker, an energy healer. I don't know what you'd call it. But um, exploring that that world opened up so many avenues and so many questions for me. That The the books like The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton was absolutely key for me because it's the first time I saw a scientific, you know, a proper scientist that I sort of could respect (laughs) saying something that made sense of my experience, both with the bioresonance, with the kinesiology, um, with all the work I was doing. Um, And then my modality outside bioresonance at the time was kinesiology. And I used to do a very powerful chakra hologram that I'd learned from an incredible kinesiologist called Hugo Tabat. And I was fascinated by the behavior of the kids and People's behavior, and then I found *Eastern Body, Western Mind* by Anadea Judith, which describes it, it blends the psychological aspects of the characteristics of each of the chakras with the energetics and the physiology as well. So suddenly, these all these worlds were converging, and I started to understand the nature of energy, how it impacts our physiology, our behavior, um, our psychology, and you know, the work, you know, again, the work that I really, you know, really enjoyed was going deeper than, you know, this, again, this is the spiritual bullshit, you know, people going, oh, your chakras aren't open. It's a stupid phrase. It means nothing. You know, it's, you go, well, okay, talk to me about my chakras and, you, you know, the work I was doing was looking at chakras in terms of over energy and under energy and yin and yang. So what is the expression of each chakra? And you could look at, um, you know, you could, you, for example, if you look at the root chakra, somebody's identity, if they've got an over energy in the yang, so they're, they're really trying to enforce their identity upon you, that's the fundamentalist. That's your guy who blows himself up with the bomb. <laughs> you know, and you, could, you can sort of go up and look at the heart chakra and an under energy in the yin is, is the cold fish you can't receive love. you know. So you, you could pick out people's characteristics. And it, I became fascinated by this because with the kinesiology, I could look at someone's physiology and see which meridians were operating. And so you could look at someone's posture and tell something about their psychology. Then you could look at their chakras and you could almost describe their personality. And it was, you know, to me, this was just like, Every discovery was, wow, wow, wow. Um, And just it just pulled me, you know, it just fascinated me, and I got totally absorbed in that world. But, again, I I sort of was beginning to notice the problems most people faced were just one of dissatisfaction and resistance to what's actually happening um, in their lives. And so I kept going back to the presence that... Eckhart Tolle had spoken of and um, trying to sort of connect the dots with those. And my absorption in the world of uh, the, the, where my, the field I was working in with was with the kids. Okay, I was working with kids with autism, with learning difficulties. And we were using a bioresonance system. And the person I was working with, Tracy, had this download one day and she said, this system isn't remedial. It's like oxygen and it's a new paradigm. And that posed a real problem for us because we were working with kids with learning difficulties and we had a system that was not remedial. So everyone was coming to us with their kids saying, basically, the energy was my kid's broken. Can you fix him? (laughs) And we sort of looked at that. So we've got a challenge here, which is sort of leads back into my, it's like of the spiritual marketing. Because, you know, it's like become enlightened and you'll be happy. You know, it's something you're lacking. Always something. We can offer you this, the law of attraction. You know, what do you want? A big car, you know, is always rooted in dissatisfaction. And we saw these kids. And the more I worked with them, I saw that there was no problem with them at all. The problem was the way we were perceiving them. It was our own dissatisfaction, our own discomfort that they were showing back to us. Um, they were reflecting who we were. and again, this is another rabbit hole to go <laughs> really down. but i would noticed a pair of parents would bring children along to see us, and by that time my practice was just presence really. And they'd bring kids along and they'd go, oh we're really worried his behavior is really difficult," We say don't worry, just come along. And the kid would sit with me and Tracy would take the parents to show them the bioresonance. And if you could get presents, the kid would just totally calm down and they'd walk out and go, What have you done? What have you done to him? I said, Nothing, I'm just present with him. And I saw that our work then was nothing to do with the kids, it was just trying to get parents to get present with their children, lose the expectation of how they should be, and become present. And so the there were so many twists and turns in this journey, but we, we were confused by our own conclusion that there's nothing wrong with these kids, <laughs> and then we found the book by Susie Miller, um, Autism, and I remember Tracy saying she found that book and she was going to France um, on the on the uh, shuttle, the Eurostar, and she she was reading the book from. Paddington down to Dover or wherever it goes through and she phoned me before she went in the tunnel and she's in tears she said this is it this is the book this is explaining what's going on and so that was a big stepping stone for us because it is an, an evidential piece of what we were coming to realize about the kids there was something more going on with them and they were the canaries in the coal mine and Again, that opened up another wormhole for me because I had to look at this dimensional reality stuff. You know, what is this? Where are these kids? What does that mean? Who are they? You know, how do we use that? And so that was, that was a huge stepping stone in the journey as well. Um, and so I was, I was pulling together these pieces. Another book on the list is The Field by Lynn McTaggart. Taggart. I don't particularly like that book. But it was really useful because I'd get parents coming in and saying, this stuff can't work. We were doing remote treatment with a bioresonance computer that made no sense, even to us, if we were honest. But we were we were getting evidential changes in many factors with the kids, including IQ. And the field just gave a little bit of substance that I could give to these dads, in particular the dads, um, to you know, start to accept the possibilities of what we're talking about. So it's a really important book. As I said, I'm not, not particularly enamored with the book um, and I now understand why.
0: Well, it sounds like what you've been doing and um, congratulations, by the way, because you're going to be the person who gallops through their list in no time at all compared to everybody else. (laughs) Um, But I love the way that you're weaving it because you're basically telling a story. You're telling the story of your growth and you're telling the story of your understanding. Um, And um, you're picking, aren't you? You're, You're finding in these books, you're finding the little pieces of the puzzle that make up the whole. And I think that's pretty true, really. We don't have to read all of these books. You know, we we just have to get what we need to get and be done with it.
1: Well, the again, you you realise they transmit information in different ways. Um, You know, it it was a pretty traumatic time in my life when I went through this. And I I read The Power of Now, and that was my go-to text. Whenever I got really triggered or things were going on that I didn't like, I'd go to The Power of Now. And it got to the stage where... I could just hold the book and it would change my frequency. I just held the book and it would calm me down. And again, there's a learning in that. There's a sort of, um, there is a learning. And as you say, all of these books have been really important in different ways in in that development. so would you like to ask me about specific books, or such? Yes, areas? I am
0: going to, you know, I won't go back over some of them, mm-hmm. but I am going to pick the ones that I think that are really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, you haven't mentioned The Presence Process, A Healing Journey into Present Moment Awareness by Michael Brown. And some people may feel that this is very much like The Power of Now, and it's not. Um, this is a process that is will knock your socks off with how um, powerful it is, and it won't just knock your socks off. It'll have you on the floor, you know, <laughs> sobbing your heart out. Um, but boy, you know, is that worth doing? So tell us how you came across the presence process, and how you feel about that book. What that book did for you?
1: Um, I came across that process actually. <laughs> That, that book is Susie Miller recommended it. She said, You should have a look at this because this is really powerful. I was always talking about presence, and she said, Well, have a look at this. And I kind of ignored it and ignored it. And then the time came to actually engage in it. And the thing about it that it, it really caught my attention because, again, this part of my resistance I shouldn't have resistance, but no sort of dislike of the spiritual sort of marketing arena was this idea that everything's gonna you know you can you can consume spiritualism to make things better and very early on in this book Michael Brown says the presence process won't make you feel better it will make you better at feeling and I think that was that was one of my big challenges you know I'm a sort of typical repressed English bloke you know
0: former trader
1: my trader yeah I can take it on the chin and sort of I'm okay so to actually have a process um and a mechanism to access some deeper deeper aspects of yourself and it really does go through all aspects it, it if there's a complete work for me um a course to do um in your personal development, this is it, because it will take you right back to the inner child, it will get you feeling, it, it, it introduced me to breath work. I didn't know it as introducing me to breath work. And any people who've done my yoga class on a Sunday night know that it's largely breathwork now. You know, um, and again, I didn't the beauty of all of these texts, I didn't really understand them at the time. I resonated with them, I did them. <laughs> not really knowing the significance or the relevance of how it's working quite often, which was a real benefit. But this, the presence process is, I think it is the most powerful um, piece of work I've done. And I love the the guy's ethos. Um, And he says in the book, he said, don't recommend this book to someone else. He said, they'll find it themselves if they need it, but don't recommend it because you're just serving yourself. You're trying to make your external better you know you're trying to make someone else okay and he said if you're using this book to try and change so that you can save a relationship he said you know put it down now um it is it, powerful teaching and i've i use it as reference when i'm working with people all the time and despite his advice i still recommend it to certain people not everybody um but certain people I
0: yeah, it's a, it's a very simple book and he says himself, you know, sometimes you don't even need to do any, anything that he says in there, just reading it is enough yeah. and it yeah. is, and it is.
1: Well, he offers um, the opportunity to, to just read or do the process and it's yeah. great.
0: The interesting thing about the author, Michael Brown, is that, you know, this body of work that he developed, uh, unlike many others, he just gave it out to the world and walked away. Yeah. Didn't want to turn it into training and certifying people, you know, to be presence process practitioners or whatever. Just here you go, guys. It worked for me. And it takes a lot of uh, guts to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember another book that could have I can't even remember the title, but I think it's a guy called Bruce Wayne. And he sort of described his spiritual journey and then wrote the book and then just went and made films. You know it was like and he's and i understand that it's like follow your passion you know don't certain people are here to teach and communicate this information there's no doubt about that but sometimes the realization is i'm just going to go and live you know
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. so you mentioned um susie miller's book awesomeism a new way to understand the diagnosis of autism and i know that book has changed many many people's lives including the parents of many children on the spectrum. And for those that are not familiar with Susie's work, and uh, if, you, you know, if you've spent any time around me, you can't not be familiar <laughs> with it because my God, I've interviewed her so many times. Um, you know, it's what she said, she's showing us that uh, these kids are not broken and um, there's nothing to fix. And really they're showing us ourselves and what we have the potential to be. And, um, you know, people wonder at the epidemic if you like, Um, you know, the way that the numbers of ASD diagnosis has shot through the roof over the years. Well, uh, personally, I think that this is is the future. You know, the the kids are the future. They're showing us the future and they're showing us what we need to learn in order to be able to move into that future more comfortably.
1: Yeah, we and just, and sorry, we, saw as, we saw them as canaries in the coal mine and, and yeah. we had to create we had to create the environment and the systems and the, the consciousness in which they could thrive because that's what's necessary for us. and that's yeah. what we're finding out now. Yeah. You know, yeah. Have we done the work or not? We're finding yeah. out.
0: Yeah. And I think you know, I see the threads through your book that I find really interesting. Um, in a way that, you know, you see them sometimes in with regard to other people's lives. You see the threads through their books, of their whole entire journey. But there's something about your one that I find exciting because to me, it's almost like a blueprint for others as well. Um, this book and everything that you've learned through it and everything that Susie Miller teaches and everything that the children are showing us really taps in so well to the next book that came after it, which was The Nine Waves of Creation, Quantum Physics, Holographic Evolution, and the Destiny of Humanity by Karl Kallerman. Um, and his trilogy of books, uh, I think a phenomenal trilogy. So tell us about your response to The Nine Waves of Creation, especially moving on from what you had learned through Awesomeism.
1: Well, it, I could see and sense this evolution in consciousness that's going on, and I could see that the challenges that the world faced and still face could not be solved at the level of consciousness we're operating. The, the, the things that are going on are just an expression of that. And, you know, again, that spiritual community, you know, books about 2012, and this is going to happen, this is going to happen, the world's going to change. I, I, I was a bit frustrated by that. And then it was you that actually told me, have a look at this. And I, I, I read Carl's book and it made so much sense to me. Um, and I was at the time I, I gave a course called stability in an unstable world. And I could see that what the world, the world was really in a tough place because we we were living in exponential times. And so you got this incredible growth, um, that there was almost uncontrollable and unsustainable in certain areas. And you got this contrary thing that, you know, the speeding up of time, which I didn't quite understand. Um, but Cole's book explains it beautifully. Um, and but well, through the mechanism of the Mayan calendar, and it was a fractal pattern of time, which actually incorporated and brought in different levels of consciousness. And what the conclusion of the book is that we, we've moved into this unique time where we've got four or five different levels of consciousness coexisting at the same time. So you've got the old patriarchal systems hanging on for dear life and the old fellas like me. And then you've got the movement through sort of that more equality up right up until the latest iteration, which is this unified consciousness, which the kids born from 2012 or whatever are embodying. So you've got this real melting pot of different, levels of consciousness and mindsets that are competing for attention don't often understand each other. And, you know, it's just pregnant with change. And with the collapse of time and the speed of change, it, it, it made sense to me of why the kids had arrived as they had. It made sense of my journey, you know, from right through that patriarchal system, leaving the city sort of becoming this... Almost walking cliche, you know, trader turns yoga teacher uh, sort of journey. But it, this, 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 the work, Carl's book really explained everything to me. Well, not explained everything, it gave a context that made sense. And it's still very relevant at the moment and probably getting more so. But, um, yeah,
0: I think so. I mean, That particular book, if anybody hasn't read it, it's a hard book to read. It's very academic. I mean, this man is a scientist. Um, Many people laugh at the Mayan calendar, but he came to it from some kind of, I think he was working um, with cancer and doing cellular work. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't remember how he got interested in the Mayan calendar, but he probably is the expert worldwide on it. And uh, nobody can explain it the way he can. Um, and it is a trilogy of books because uh, he, he did the uh, global mind first and then he brought out you know, the latest one, which is the um, quantum science of psychedelics, the pineal gland, multi-dimensional reality and Mayan cosmology. And he brings the whole thing together and he's showing us where we are at right now with this ninth wave of consciousness that we have mm. access to and that is the unity consciousness yeah um which is where and all of his work is going now mm. yeah. and
1: it, you know again it's it, it's it is the maths of what's happening in a way as well you know this beautiful piece of work um mm. and it, it explains so many of the challenges we're facing i think
0: So the ninth book in your list, having raced through the others, um, (laughs) again, you know, when did this one come into your life? It's Being Aware of Being Aware by Rupert Spearer.
1: That's been very recent, actually. That's been over the last six months, I guess. Um, And again, the non-dual teachings, um, this works really beautiful. and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of truth in all these books, it? but there's a lot of concepts that when I came across Rupert Spira's work, I realised I hadn't really grasped. I hadn't really got at a deep level, or grokked is that word. And so, you know, like the idea, you know, this phrase that people use, we're infinite beings, you know, that, that's a contradiction in terms anyway, because we're not beings if we're infinite. You know, the, the, the understanding of infinite is this one, you know, is unity, there's no separation, you can't differentiate. And Rupert Spira describes that process of how awareness divides itself into individuated consciousness. And then the problems that evolve in our world come from a belief that we are that separate consciousness. So we lose touch with our our true nature which again is no different to what Eckhart Tolle was teaching. It's no different to what Adyashanti was teaching, but there's something in the Rupert Spira teachings and his meditations that have really, really simplified this process for me. And it's, it's quietened my mind. It's, it's dulled my inquiry, if I'm honest, because he calls his work is the direct path and it's, very accessible, very experiential. Again, this is this is one of the, the really important things for me in all of these. You know, the thing I loved about Adyashanti's teaching, it was teaching from experience. And there's not many people been to where he's been, um, in those realms. And you can feel that authenticity and that truth. And there's a lot of people sharing a lot of information that does not come from experience. And what Rupert Spira's work does for me is it he, he makes it Very, very available, very, very experiential, and it gives you a taste of enlightenment. And I I wrote a blog once called "Enlightenment is," and really, that's the essence of it. Everybody wants to be; they want God to explode into your room and announce Himself and tell you that you're the most important being on the planet. And you want to see all weird stuff going on and all those spiritual experiences. But the truth is we're all enlightened, but we just don't pay attention to that aspect of ourselves, our true nature. With you know, As I said with my Adyashanti experience, we live in a phenomenal world with the most amazing distractions. And it's great. But every now and again, give attention to the awareness that is aware of those distractions, and you will find something... Much more profound, much deeper, much um, much more fulfilling, and Spera's work—how uh, uh, I've come across it, I don't know—but it's really um, it's really deepened my understanding. Just at the right time, it's it's a beautiful um, it's a beautifully simple way of connecting to the truth of our nature. That's true,
0: nature. Your journey has led you to the work of Kesha. Mm. And that's your tenth book, The Universal Order of the Creation of Matters by Kesha. Would you like to explain who Kesha is and what he's been doing and why you're so interested in it?
1: Okay. I came across Kesha years ago, it must have been 2010, and I looked at this guy and I heard what he's saying. And the first thing that caught my attention about Kesha was not the claims that there's free energy, technology, you know, healing machines, all this. What he, he was talking about world peace and what, what was necessary to bring about peace on earth. And he showed a really practical understanding of the challenges that underlie the technology that he had available to him or said he had available to him. So, you know, I, I was in that, in that arena. I went through all the conspiratorial stuff. I went down every wormhole you could go and how free energy is being suppressed, anti-gravity technology, all these types of things. And he, he, he came along and sort of explained the consequence of, of his understanding and his knowledge. And what it could do for humanity, but also the challenges it would face. And as an economist, I mean, you know, free, free energy sounds great, but it's a nightmare for our structure. You have to really understand how to organize yourselves, how to develop the systems, how to, you know, it, everyone just immediately as well thinks, at a very personal level, oh, great, I won't have an electricity bill. And Cash's and understand that's what caught my attention. He was thinking about and presenting his information in a way that this is a done deal, I've got this technology, um, but I'm concerned about how I I introduce it to the world. So I started experimenting and playing with the technology that he um, was presenting and what the, the deeper I got into the understanding of Keshe's science was the more parallels I could see between the teachings that I've been following, and particularly of late, and it's what the blog you referred to earlier on about, is there's an exact parallel between what Spira is saying and what Keshe is presenting, and they probably not recognize their own teachings in each other's work in a bizarre way, but to me, they're just, they're just synonymous. They're the same thing, but one, and, and the beauty of Keshe's work is Spear's that space that I talk out that Spira, Allows us to go to our true nature, our essence. It's kind of non experiential, it's strange, you know, it's the absence of experience almost in a way. Um, but we're here having this experience and we're living. So Kesha somehow taps into that space that Spira has identified and explains it and allows us to manipulate it in a way that. Is gonna change the world beyond recognition. The problems, the problems that we face, you know, this is the, the blog I talked about was, was the word ignorance is a tough word, but I chose it deliberately because we are ignoring the truth of our nature. We're ignoring, we're ignoring our experience, if we're honest, because we're identifying with our objective reality as opposed to that aspect of us that experiences it. And our truth is the awareness, you know, as um, Spira's book is called, it's being aware of being aware. And he, you know, rightly says that's where our happiness and peace reside. But what Keshe for me has been able to do is bring that into an understanding and a physics. I use the word physics reservedly because it's not actually physics, it's beyond physics, it's plasma science. And the, the mistake in physics and what's held us back so much is that we're making the same mistake in science, is we're focused on objective reality. We, we believe our, this world to be a matter-based reality. And clearly, any, any mild inquiry of that proves it not to be. And what Kesha does is explains how matter comes into being you know the creation of matter whatever that long title of his book is he traces it back and follows the path through from source he talks of the soul he talks of the creator he talks of God which make, is a heresy in the scientific community but it, it, it it's such a parallel and such a match for the spiritual teachings that have captured my attention and changed my life, that I, I know this technology to be real It's available already. And it, it's, this is a seminal point in history. And it, it keys in with the kids. It keys in with Carl Callerman. It keys in with presence. It ties it all together. And it ties it together in a way that isn't sitting on a mountaintop bombing. Is pulling this down to enrich this experience, to remove survival consciousness, to move us beyond lack. It's going to pose really interesting challenges for humanity because we are motivated and live by survival. You remove that and we've got to find some other source of
0: entertainment my former fiance once said and uh, this has stayed with me ever since that man is a problem solving animal and if you take away his problems he doesn't know what to do so he has to create more problems and that's it in a nutshell is that we are always constantly you know well this regurgitating. Is, yeah. mm.
1: and you know the the the, the science of cash is, is the science of consciousness. You know, it's a consciousness technology. And what, he, what you can do is you can bring that down into the matter state and make demonstrable physical instruments that will change reality. Or you can do it yourself because we are the technology. Because the bioresonance computers I use are just, they're just a shabby, sort of imitation of us and what we can do <laughs> you know we're the real bio resonance. Um and similarly you understand the soul consciousness you understand how plasma operates and um, that how matter comes into being how biology comes into being and the lens through which we experience the world um, and the possibilities really are limitless and the analogy is you know we we lived in we lived in the country for years. Then technology evolved so that we started moving towards towns. We started looking to gather together, and 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 then then we'd go abroad and we'd go and explore the world. Um, we're going to go and explore the universe and beyond the universe, and we don't need a spaceship to do
0: it. Absolutely confusing to someone who doesn't know anything about Kesha's work, anything about plasma. So. Why don't you simplify it a bit and tell us first, what is plasma?
1: Okay, so in work. the easiest way to explain Kershaw's science is, as I said, the assumption we've made in our current scientific paradigm is that it's a matter-based reality. And so science has sort of restricted itself for looking for smaller and smaller particles that explain how the building blocks of existence come into being. And in that process, they, they've taken consciousness as this sort of inconvenient side effect of matter. So they believe the brain is you know, the foundation of consciousness. It's like a side effect of the brain and the configuration of those cells is consciousness. Now, Kesha says that the building blocks of reality start with magnetic fields or magnetic rays and it's just that the magnetic ray, you will then get into the question, where does the magnetic ray come from? But we'll say, for the point of this discussion, you say, you know, the building blocks of reality are magnetic fields. And what happens is magnetic fields um, have characteristics and they are, if you think of two magnets and the fields, the fields are aware of each other and they respond to each other. Now, that's a pretty good definition of consciousness. So if the building block of reality are these magnetic fields that are aware of each other and respond to each other, you're saying the building blocks of reality is consciousness. So what happens when these fields interact, when, when two magnetic fields interact and they detach from source, their source field because of their attraction to each other, They become free-floating magnetic fields, and free-floating magnetic fields is plasma. That is Keshe's definition of plasma, plasma, free-floating magnetic fields. Now, when two free-floating plasmatic fields come into contact with each other and are attracted to each other, they join together in a way that gives us the experience of matter so the matter that we experience the atoms the quarks all those little bits and pieces we're looking at are just magnetic fields that are really tightly bound and give us the qualities of matter now when two matter two matters interact that's physics so the matter state is physics When two physics interact, they create chemistry. And then similarly, when two chemistries interact, they create biology. And when two or interact, they create souls. And so you've got this cycle of life, but the key point is that the starting point of understanding of creation is magnetic fields, which is in my world, he's talking about consciousness. So matter is derived from consciousness rather than the paradigm we we're living in where we're saying consciousness is a side effect of matter now because of our belief that this is a matter-based reality um, our interaction with that reality is pretty clumsy we, des- we we derive energy by destroying something and taking the energy that's released from it if you understand The basis of plasma, and you're able to interact with those magnetic fields, then you can can get access to much more energy in a non-destructive and in fact a creative way. Another key point, and almost the key point about Cassius Science is the, the law of interaction of those plasmatic magnetic fields. And what those what those fields, the way they interact with each other is that the stronger field will always try to feed the weaker field to create balance. So the universe, all of this creation, is a flow, a movement of magnetic fields attempting to create harmony. And it does so by the strong feeding the weak. And because of our assumption around a matter-based reality, we're bizarrely living the opposite way around. We're sort of not obeying universal law, which is why everything is so short-lived. Everything is impermanent. Our lives are shorter than they need to be because we're actually working against that basic fundamental universal law. And you see it play out in society. You know, this is the things that are going on at the moment. Um, You know, the strong... strong aren't feeding the weak (laughs) they're feeding on the weak Um, and you you've got this unsustainable imbalance in the the energetic flow of this place that will inevitably come to an end but when you start to move in harmony with the plasma and with that understanding and it goes back to sphero's work because ultimately everything derived from the same field. We are one. And the, for my, my realization through this work is, you know, what's our purpose on this planet? What's our purpose in life? And for me, it's to realize that truth, to move back to that universal truth and understand our true essence, our true nature. And that is, that we are consciousness, and we're expressing in a physical state, in a matter form. And it's, it's the same as Spira concludes, is we are awareness. That's our true nature. But what Kesha's work gives us the opportunity to do, through the understanding of the fundamental nature of reality, is it allows us to have a different relationship with that, um, reality at, at all levels, at the matter state, uh, the sort of um, the plasmatic state, and the the other important point from Kesha's work is that the soul, um, our soul is plasmatic, it's contained within the body, and the opportunity is to actually contain the body within the soul reverse that flow and when you see these pictures of christ with his halo and the light around him what that's demonstrating is that his soul is actually holding his body rather than the other way around and that that moves back into um, universal law and it's it's the shifting consciousness that is inevitable and is necessary at this moment in time.
0: So, how, how does somebody, you know, it's one thing to hear you say this and mm-hmm. we agree, yes, makes a lot of sense, but how do we actually attain that? How do we get that, know that in an ongoing way?
1: Well, in the past, we've done that through spiritual inquiry. You know, these stories of the Tibetan monks disappearing into rainbow light, what they're doing is realizing the soul. They're they're becoming plasmatic. We do it every night when we dream. It's what near death experiences. We live, you know, we become, the soul is released. We become, our experience comes from the soul. So, Traditionally, it's a journey of spiritual inquiry. We do it when we die immediately anyway. You know, That's the other release. But as Techart, Eckhart Tolle said, you know, the secret of enlightenment is to, to die before your physical death. So you die to the ego. You, you die to that level of consciousness. And you come from a soul level, a soul orientation, and you live from there. What Kesha offers the opportunity of, and I this is what we're going to see emerging soon is the physical technology that allows us to connect directly into the soul. It's almost an enlightenment machine, if you want. Um, And that sounds crazy. That sounds far-fetched, but um, it's a very simple process. If you know what you're doing, I've had a, I've had a mild experience of that um, that technology about two years ago um, in a conference and sat in an early version of what's called the Enhancement Unit. Um, and this technology is real, is now, and it's gonna offer something that, is it a bypass or a shortcut to enlightenment? It will change, it will change, the behaviour and the behaviours and the lack. You see, the when you understand plasma and the nature of how even our body works, we don't need to consume food anymore. You can feed off plasma. Um, we don't need to drink. You can you can get all you need from plasma. Um, and again, that sounds crazy, but that's that's where we're moving and the you know it's like the free energy device it's like how do we get free energy? you just take take energy from plasma and there's there's more of it than we know what to do with well and how do we get plasma how do we get plasma you what you do is you create the fields you you play at the level of plasmatic fields as opposed to trying to destroy something for energy. So take, take, for example, the virus. The virus is an energy pack, and the virus um, is looking to exchange energy with the cell. It's not malevolent, it's not bad, it's just following the, the plasmatic laws, you know? And so it's trying to, um, it's trying to, funny enough, feed energy into the cell, and it sort of goes into that cell as a result. And so the plasmatic solution is that is you create a field that is the same as the cell and you put it on the skin and the virus will feed the plasma rather than the cell because the plasma, if you make it a weaker field, will attract the the attention, if you like, of the virus. And it's understanding that flow of the strong feeding the weak. So when... Scientists at the moment are trying to create nuclear fusion. They're, they're creating these really powerful magnetic fields that's trying to force stuff together and pull it apart. The truth is, you need the opposite. You need really, really weak magnetic fields and the same field strength that require that the atom will feed the field, feed strength. It will feed the weaker, so it will release itself and release energy as a result. And so we're kind of upside down in everything, you know. But it's the understanding. Of the operation of plasma and the the way that that universal law, you create weaker fields to, to get fed, and it's it's in all the spiritual teachings. You know, it's like humility. You know, is key in all spiritual teachings. And what you're doing is you're you're making yourself a weak field so that you receive. Yeah, does that make sense?
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, Explain that one humility. humility. If I'm being humble, I'm making myself weaker.
1: You, if the humility is a weak, a weak field, you you give out, um, and what happens is to create balance, the energy will feed you. Okay, so like God is the ultimate in humility, and so what happens, He just gives out and gives out and gives out. Um, and loves us so much, and feeds us so much that we feed him back, and we're trying to create a balance, a, an energy flow. I'm not explaining this well at all. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 not grasping this. No, um, okay, so the, the easier one is the virus. I say. Okay? So what happens? The virus is an energy pack that's a match for the cell, and but what happens? It's trying to feed energy into the cell and in so doing it takes over the cell. So what we've got to do to draw the attention of the virus, we create a replica of the cell or a similar field of the cell that is a much weaker field strength. And so the virus, will, its attention will be drawn to the weaker field strength. So it won't bother with the cell, it will move away. And this is the way that Cashier and his technology has been dealing with this virus. Um, so you're playing with field strengths and magnetic fields, as opposed to the physical matter-based reality, where we go in and basically the, all we know how to do is to destroy something, to release energy or change its physical structure. It's really clumsy. It's really clumsy.
0: Well, give me an example of how I could create my own plasma
1: how you create plasma is the same way that, um, is the same way that um, life is created on earth and you can create plasma by simply you can get a glass where's that camera glass of water if you put if you put saline in there and you put two metal plates, zinc and copper for example, what happens is the field forces between the zinc and the copper, um, they set up an interaction and saline water, the salt water actually is the bit that turns the fields into matter state. And so you'll create something called GANs. You'll create a physical embodiment of plasma and that plasma um, has all the characteristics of a soul, (laughs) it sounds crazy, but you can make the field strength of that plasma according to your need. And so you can get it to interact with the physical body. You can get it to interact with matter. It depends on the nature of the plasma you're making and the field strength which you use.
0: Give me an example of um, something that you have, Created, done, achieved with plasma,
1: Gantt. Okay, um, something,
0: you know, that backs yeah. up what you're saying.
1: Okay, so, what, for example, my mum, bless her, she's gone now, but she, she had terrible fur and feet. There was, you know, she couldn't get her shoes on. And so, by making the right plasma, which is, you know, you you get something that replicated the plasma of the blood and you do that by using iron and copper within that saline solution. So you make the GANS, you make the plasma of, um, it's effectively blood and then you'd, you'd set up a field where you'd put a weak field one side of the foot and a strong field the other side and the field interaction would take away the plasma that was creating the swelling in the foot because we're plasmatic in nature inside, and so by setting up a field differential and creating a flow, you remove the swelling.
0: I've done a lot of study of magnets over the years, and <laughs> I know that in India, magnets have been used uh, for you know decades to heal broken bones, and they heal broken bones very quickly. Mm. Um, so, so. In my head, I'm kind of relating what you're saying to that. Yeah. To to that effect. So the magnetic field is exerting some kind of power, some kind of force that is enabling. The
1: difficulty difficulty we have is that we believe, you know, even our physical body, the moment something goes into our body, it it becomes a plasma. So the, the empty organs the hollow organs in the body are reactors that turns matter state into a plasmatic field. So when, when we eat food, we don't, we don't pass particles of vitamin C into the blood flow. We create the plasma of vitamin C and that information is carried through the blood flow. When the, the solid organs then convert that plasmatic information back into matter state, so we're, we're incredible. We're miracles, you know, um, but, but we're, we're, we're like nuclear reactors inside. So everything that's happening in the body is happening at a plasmatic level. And that's the way to – that's why the bioresonance works. That's why energy medicine works. That's why information medicine works. Um, and if you read Bruce Lipton's book, you know, the sort of – the intelligence of the cell is the – the cell membrane and the, that is the information that crosses the cell membrane that determines the gene expression and mm-hmm. so you know we're not dealing in a matter state and the cell membrane is more receptive to frequency than it is to matter state, to particle, particles. And so you know the the whole way our body operates is not as sort of we've been told <laughs> and this, is, this I mean, I'm I'm very aware we go into sort of areas that sort of almost too difficult to communicate in this. they're, they're huge. But the basic point of it is that we are not matter state beings. You know, we are not our physical body. We're not our thoughts. We're not our feelings. We are the awareness behind that. We are the consciousness that allows all of that experience. And our identification with our objective reality, identification means to make the same as we, we believe ourselves to be physical in nature and we're not. And our reality, what the cash technology has taught me is if we, if we got to understand relate, uh, um, creation, we have to go back to consciousness. We have to go to the magnetic fields and trying to manipulate you can manipulate the physical to an extent. And we've taken that, we've been very good at that. We've taken that as far as it can go. But the consciousness that is associated with that is leading us into the situation we find ourselves in now, which is a fight for survival. And all of the things we're seeing in society, the fear that we're seeing around this virus, the fear of death, The fear of all of, you know, lack comes from this fundamental misunderstanding of our nature. And that has been highlighted for me by the science presented by Kesha. And the practical applications of that are immense and huge, but they needn't be that dramatic. And also, it's it's just recognising our true nature. And as Spira said, our true nature is happiness and peace. And if we live from that, the world changes immediately. But the prevailing understanding and the prevailing um, behaviors come from the ignorant assumption that we are matter-state and matter-based.
0: Well, you just hit the nail on the head there, the happiness and peace part, because, you know, I just want to read the end of your blog which is basically saying what you've just said. Um, You said a simple understanding of the magnetic fields, i.e. consciousness, of which matter is made opens up unlimited potential. This ignorance has created a destructive cycle in which the survival of physicality is the motivating factor behind life. To recognize ourselves as awareness or consciousness is to move beyond the limitation of a matter-based reality, as well as the fear that is the defining characteristic of survival consciousness. The understanding of plasma as consciousness invites an interaction with the physical plane from a totally different perspective. We do not need to elevate consciousness. Consciousness is. We simply need to stop ignoring the obvious and acknowledge awareness as our true nature and start creating from that place. The question that follows that, that would have followed that if I'd read it five minutes before, you'd said what you said, (laughs) is, um, well, how do we start creating from that place? But what you've said is that we have to find and maintain happiness and peace. You know, the interesting part for me is that this book club, you know, and everybody who's interested in it, and everybody who's been on these video interviews, we're all on this amazing quest to gain understanding, you know, about who we are and why we're here, and etc. 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 But none of that is actually necessary. You know, that's what you're saying. If we can understand that consciousness is, we don't have to try and elevate our consciousness. We stop ignoring the obvious, acknowledge awareness, and live in happiness and peace. And therein lies the rub, because Uh, how do you get how many billion people to do that?
1: As as I said, enlightenment is boring. We're all enlightened the moment you know every gap between the thoughts is enlightenment, and we just don't give that attention. We don't give that our attention, and it unfortunate. You know, I think most people have awakening experiences through trauma, and what trauma does, if you think what a trauma is. Is it tears apart your view of reality? It tears about apart what should be to such an extent you can't cope with it. And what the world is going through at the moment is a trauma. It's gotta wake up. This is life is, you know, that, that universal flow is beautiful. All the crappy things that happen in our life are just the universe loving us so unconditionally, it will give us anything it can to awaken us to our true nature. And it will will kill the physicality to awaken us up to that reality, because it's just a flow. It's just this beautiful balancing flow towards harmony. And our resistance to that is where all the suffering lies. Um, Our opinion of how it should be, um, as opposed to what is. that state, as I say, enlightenment is boring unless you abide in it, because within that space, there is an intimacy beyond anything you'll experience through the mind. And was it Dojan said, you know, he craved intimacy with 10,000 things. And we, we all have those experiences. We just, we're so distracted by everything else that we don't abide in that space. And to live from that space is a rare thing. There's not many enlightened beings out there and I don't include myself in that number. But we all have that experience. It's just a question of how long we stay in there and where do we live from? Where do we make our choices from? Do We make it from that space or do we make it from survival? And I think the world is whether whether it takes a cash technology or whether it's through you know just spiritual awakening i don't know but my reality is shifting um and i can feel that it's palpable you know experientially um and will that happen i think everyone's already enlightened they just gotta pay attention (laughs) have to be don't we
0: I mean because we are not matter Um, here's my question
1: okay
0: having listened to everything you've said and I don't disagree with any of it is I think most people you know joining us that are present here right now understand this you know, they've been on the journey a long time. They've read the books. They, they've, you know, they know what they know. But the, the unanswerable for me is if we know all this and we understand that we are awareness, why the hell do we come here to forget? Why, you know, what's the point of that?
1: Well, as I said earlier on, I think the purpose of life, bizarrely, is just to realize that truth it's just it's like it's like a journey back but we already know it yeah well why do you go to spain i don't at the moment nobody does yeah you know it's you know we're having it, it it's they're big questions you know it's like what what um you know, it's, it's like Neil Donald Walsh, you know, God, God wanted to experience himself, so he separated himself into a million, you know, it's that kind of idea, you know, we localise, you know, it's like the field has, we're, we're a disturbance in the field, and the reason for that disturbance is that it's the only way the field can experience itself.
0: So we are destined to do this again and again and again, just so that the field can experience itself.
1: I think we will. The inevitable conclusion is the journey back to source, and then you you recreate you you become a universe, you become a star, all those types of things. You know that 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 these are massive questions, Sandy. And I I think I've got my idea of what that's about, but it's just my idea. I don't know, but I know that the. The suffering is a choice. So this experience is, there's something in this experience when you let go of that, um, that misunderstanding, as I described it, where you see the perfection in it all. And it's difficult to translate because it's a bit like, you know, What's an analogy is, you know, like it's like you're you're walking through the snow and you've got yellow sunglasses on, you can you don't see any white snow, you only see the yellow, everything's yellow. And it's a bit like that. We're seeing this through a particular lens at the moment and it's beautiful and it's exasperating and the suffering is part of it. It's all perfection and it's funny because when you realize the sort of the role of the suffering and the reason for the suffering, the suffering kind of disappears. And it's, it's difficult to explain, but we're just here to experience peace and happiness. And the way to do that is to see through that misunderstanding. And you yeah, you can you can use words like love and all these things. I don't know. But that that for me. Yeah, you see, this is why I don't write anymore. <laughs>
0: i understand because that. it's a and, space. I understand.
1: It, it is. and if you do one of my yoga classes what i do i, I take them into a breath work where they do long breath holds and they just move into that still point and the only point of it is to get familiar with that still point and i could go into again kesha it's a transition from dark matter to antimatter. The sun is antimatter. The space between us and the sun is dark matter. And then we're the material, we're the matter state. The dark matter, we see right through it, there's nothing there. We don't even know how to measure it because that's plasma that's in total equilibrium with its environment. And then you think about the teachings of Adyashanti, Spira Buddha, it's lose resistance to what is. Merge with your environment, become dark matter because that's the journey back to source. You know, the ultimate goal of this matter state is to become antimatter. And then when you're antimatter, the goal of it is to become matter so that you can do that bloody journey. You know, I don't know why we want to do that journey. I think it's because we're probably bored. And I think that's probably the threat, that's the biggest challenge humanity faces with this evolution of consciousness, as I say. The survival game is compelling. It's a great you distraction. Said
0: it, you said it, didn't you? You said that enlightenment is boring and if source is enlightened, it's bored.
1: <laughs> I think so. so <laughs> Maybe here we that's are. It. There you go, we've got it. God is bored. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we're almost out of time, Bill. I need to ask you, it's probably a completely redundant question. What are you reading now?
1: Um, I can't remember Um, (laughs) I don't do a lot of reading either what am I reading now
0: clearly it's not something that's revving you up what is that
1: it's, it's it's being aware of being aware it's just meditations again it's on the list and it's at the moment it's sort of my go to Um, but you know again it's kind of it's a strange basis why it's like the writing the way the writing has disappeared it doesn't mean that that there's no creation or anything like that but it seems less relevant somehow.
0: Well you know I can understand why you are being very slow at turning out blogs and putting your book together however you have a duty to the rest of us because I find your blogs very stimulating. They make me think, and I like to have things that make me think. So, you know, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for
1: us. Yeah, I'm try- I'll try. <laughs> I'll try. I do love it as well, and I'd sort of... Um... Yeah, I will.
0: <laughs> it's, it's been an unusual uh, face-to-face with... Um, session. It's quite different from anything we've done before and that's great because we do like to switch it up a little bit here and there. It's been fabulous for me because I love these interesting conversations that don't have any answers. Um, I hope it's been good for you, Bill. Uh, I yeah, sure thoroughly enjoyed back.
1: myself. I just hope I haven't sort of confused or lost people in the process.
0: No, we'll, we'll work it all out sooner or later. So, bill ailing thank you for joining us if you anyone wants to read your occasional blogs go over to bill ailing.com bill ailing thank you for joining us today
1: thank you
0: sammy if you want to uh, regularly join these go over to sedgebeer.com go to the video page where this video will be posted next week you can sign up anyway for the newsletter and get informed about these events but if you sign up for save my space you get last minute reminders um, which we sometimes need so thank you everyone for joining us and we'll be here again next week at the same time bye-bye